Hi, my name is Theo, and you are listening to Between Two Trains. We bring you the best and brightest entrepreneurs in the North DeKalb area on the 1st and 15th of every month. Today, your co-hosts are Van Pappas and Eric Most. And now, Between Two Trains. Welcome to another Between Two Trains. I am Van Pappas, your friendly financial planner. And I'm Eric Most, your better business banker. And today we are doing something a little different. We are still in our shelter-in-place situation, so today's podcast is not at the wonderful studios of 3411 Coworking. They have closed their doors during this pandemic. Uh, Instead, we're using Zoom, so hopefully the quality is great. But today our guest is Aaron Cosmer. Did I pronounce that right, Aaron? It's Chosmer. 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 Trust me, if you listen to our past episodes, I screw up every single guest's name. And so, I've, probably, I've probably heard worse. So. Okay. So Aaron is a lawyer and lives in the Dunwoody area and is actually running for DeKalb Superior Court Judge. So Aaron, let's start with, uh, tell us about you being a lawyer. What's, tell us your history. Oh. Uh, it's a very simple history. Uh, came to DeKalb County uh, in 91 when I went to Emory for undergrad and have basically been in DeKalb County ever since, uh, except when, for the three years that I spent in Boston at graduate school going to Boston University, but still came back to the Atlanta uh, area in the summers. And when I came back, I always knew I was coming back to Atlanta. Uh, and I started with a firm and it was in business litigation. And I've been in basic, basically I've been in business litigation uh, for the past 20 plus years, focusing primarily on corporations, executives, employees, and commercial disputes. But my disputes that I handle aren't the simple company A owes company B money, or someone's being sued for money. It's usually more complicated than that, where there's involved the theft of trade secrets. I've done a lot of restrictive covenant work, which is where an employer will try to stop an employee from working, um, and I've helped invalidate those. But where it's fallen into the superior court is, unlike the state court, superior court has the ability to do equitable remedies, which is non-monetary relief. So if you just want to sue someone for money, you can go go to the state court. But if you want the court to declare rights or give you an injunction or a protective order or anything that's non-monetary, you have to go to the superior court. And that's where I've spent the last 20 years uh, of my career practicing across the state. so, uh, you know, I started with a firm. I was a partner there. After 10 years, I started my own firm. And now I uh, decided I didn't like, I like the law, but not the business of law and the back office stuff. So I joined a firm as senior counsel and I've been there for the past four years. So I want to, since we are a podcast that we talk about entrepreneurs, that time that you were, you had your own firm and you were in essence being an entrepreneur. And as you said, you didn't care for the business of, of law. Can you talk about, you know, one, what, what you went through during that period? Because, you know, as a self-employed financial planner, I know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes, you know, running the business is, you know, takes up all your time. And sometimes you just want to be a financial planner or just be a lawyer. Tell us about yeah, exactly. your experience as running your own business. Exactly. That, I enjoyed it. It was very fulfilling and very exciting because I got a lot out of it. That was more than just helping clients. 
It was a lot of personal growth, learning, uh, you know, bettering my management skills and increasing just business operations perspective. But, you know, at the end of the day, I like to be out there getting into the research and, and really getting into the weeds of, of the law, which a lot of people don't like. Um, some people just like to get out there and, and you know, kind of be the face and the, the, the rainmaker or whatever. But I like to be the grunt. I like to do the work and the research. And um, I was kind of being pulled away from that. So I had the opportunity to join a firm called Hecht Walker, uh, where they basically let me come aboard as a senior attorney. Um, and they, I was able to offload the billing, the expense keeping, a lot of the accounting back office stuff while I was able to focus on working with my clients and doing the work and being in court. And I wouldn't have changed uh, having that six years. I think it was a great uh, time. And I learned a lot about being a business owner, being a person, and working with other people in, in a business context as opposed to a legal context. And what I learned through that, and what I've always learned by representing business owners and entrepreneurs, is the, the amount that they focus and care more about outcomes and efficiency. Um, they, people who are entrepreneurs don't have the capital, the time, or the resources, whether they're emotional, mental, whatever, to spend on things that drag along. And so there's a, it's a very important for them to get an outcome and to get that as expeditiously as possible. Well, in doing that, you, you kind of realize that sometimes the court system loses track of how important it is for people who are actively in litigation. And sometimes courts, they are overwhelmed, absolutely. There's a lot of reasons for delays, but there are also times where a single motion, where you ask the court for something, can drag along and, and, and you may go a year without a ruling. And as long as that one year is, is you're pending, nothing else is going to happen in that law in that case because you're waiting for that outcome and that outcome will then determine other behaviors. Um, over time, you know, the, the situation of the client and the, and the parties may change, but the legal situation doesn't. And what, from a practical perspective, is that delay, although nothing is happening and the parties are legally in the same place they are, the status quo, both sides are being hurt by it. If you are a plaintiff and you're suing for money, then you're not getting that money you need to continue and fund your operations. You're still suffering the harm. If you're a defendant, whether you're being legitimately sued or not, as long as that lawsuit is pending, you have to declare that as a liability and you're likely not gonna get funding if you're an individual home, uh, owner of a business or you're an individual being sued, you can't refinance your house, it slows down and has real world consequences. And those apply whether you're in the civil context, the criminal context, or the family law context, which are the three areas of, uh, the Superior Court addresses. But, Go ahead. I was going to say, Van, you know, um, and Aaron, you know, Entering as an entrepreneur, entering into a type of business that has that type of, you know, cash flow cycle has to be very capital intensive and very difficult. Um, is that common for, for folks who go out, break out on their own? I mean, because you're waiting a year doing work, you know, performing services before, you know, the outcome or the result, which is where I assume you kind of uh, cash in from a business standpoint. 
are those common challenges for folks who are entrepreneurial in the in that law space? Absolutely, because it 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 de but it depends on your practice area and what your model is. My model is I've always worked on an hourly basis, um, and that helps my clients, and I can give them estimates and budgets and things like that. So we would get paid either with a retainer up front or on a 30-day lag. And I generally, as a matter of business, I couldn't survive if I let my clients go out three months, you know, 60, 90 days. So I kept my clients on a, on a tight leash, which is easier to do when you represent uh, executives or entrepreneurs. They understand that the, it's a cost of doing business, so to speak. There are other attorneys who do it on a contingency basis where, yeah, they may have to go uh, until the case ends before they get compensated. And in that instance, they might have to tap a line, work, a line of working capital or something like that. But the, uh, everyone's sitting there waiting. And, there, and there, are, there are means out there of litigation financing and things like that where you can basically get a loan that, you know, I, I'm not addressing whether they're good or bad. They certainly serve a purpose. But, you know, some of the, uh, the rates on them can be quite high and the fees are, are quite high. Of course, you don't have to pay, uh, pay, pay the loan unless you prevail on the case. Um, I was lucky in that when I started my career as a solo, I had been working for 10 years and, and had an established client base. And so when I started, I had clients who came with me. For many people who are starting out as a lawyer or you know, coming out of law school and hanging up a shingle, they don't have that client base. And the idea that you're going to have money coming in the doors is quite scary. Uh, I think I've heard some numbers. I'm on various state bar committees, and I've heard numbers. Everyone thinks of lawyers on TV and, and you know, the Ali McBeals and the L.A. Law and all that. Matlock. With money. You know, with Mat all that money. Matlock. Matlock. Well, he got paid. You know, <laughs> you know he, he had the, the southern uh, right. arm that I think you know, worked. But, uh, you know, 50% of most lawyers are solos. And the idea that everyone's making – you know, the, you know, what you see on TV is just not right. And so delays in lawsuits matter significantly for everyone involved. Not, and it also matters to the court because if you keep a case there, you're still getting more cases. And if you're not taking out your docket, your caseload just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I think it snowballs. What about, so these guys what, you, what about these guys you see on TV, you know, uh, the strong arm of the law and all, they have all these catchy slogans. Are they all solo guys or are they in big practices? So, you know, I can tell you as a general sense, I don't know the individuals on that. In those instances, a lot of them are based, um, you know, they're all contingency, so it's a volume-based uh, practice. Uh, I have some friends who do personal injury and catastrophic injury, and, you know, they have a smaller volume and a lot more uh, hands-on detail, and they, they do a lot of really good stuff. In my experience and talking from other people, you need to be careful when you sign on with those big firms because – they don't have the time to invest in a case the same way you can't have a case drag on for a while. So if they can't settle with the insurance company relatively quickly, you know, are they going to be able to, to be with you during the entire uh, duration of the lawsuit? Most of those personal injury cases though, get filed in the state court, not the superior court simply because uh, there's less cases there. And so they can move quicker. It's all you? about money at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not money for everybody. I mean, the, the, yeah. per, the person who's been hurt wants to get, you know, compensated for their injuries. Um, Since you mentioned yeah. Superior Court, let's turn our attention to the conversation on you running for DeKalb Superior Court judge. Tell us, um, I guess first, that is coming up, that election's in May. When's the election? 
<laughs> Depends uh, on your perspective. So the election day is on June 9th. An early vote, early in-person voting begins on May 18th. However, the reason why I kind of said that, most people are doing absentee ballot applications and, and I actually did mine early and I got my absentee ballot on Monday. So I have already voted in the election. So I tell people that the election, the actual election is from now until June. But it's the June 9th is the election day with May 18th, uh, early voting. And then they're talking about having a Saturday voting in-person day. I'm just not sure on that date. But I highly recommend that people take advantage of the uh, absentee ballot application process. So what, what made you decide, you know, you wanted to run for judge? Was there something that you said, okay, now's the time I want to do this? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think anyone jumps into running for, for office unless there has been, you know, a, a big change or a big motivator on that. Uh, I've always wanted to be uh, in public service. My, my, you know, my, my family's been in public service. My mom's a teacher. My father worked for the VA as a doctor for many years. And my sister works for the government and the other one's a public servant, a uh, social worker. So I'm here in private practice, but I've always kind of had that eye. And over 20 years, I've seen some very good judges, but I've seen, sadly, more lesser judges. Um, and I am not the kind of person who will sit back and criticize unless I'm willing to step up and put myself in their shoes. Uh, in order to be a judge, you have to live in that county. And so I've lived in, in DeKalb uh, for many years. And the Superior Court seats in DeKalb County do not open up very frequently. I'm running to replace Judge Clarence Seeliger, who served for 40 years. He's retiring mm -hmm. with 40 years on the bench. So um, with that but it, in mind, But it is an elected position. So correct. even though he, it may not open, that guy has to run, what, is it every four years? How correct. often? Okay. It's every four years. Um, and if you look, to be honest, uh, judges, incumbent judges are frequently unopposed. Uh, there are seven uh, divisions that are being voted on the June 9th election. And my division, Division 3, is the only contested election. And I, you know, I think that's good in many ways because being a judge is, is well, I think the, the voting is good. And I think people should always run if they think they want to or if they think the judge isn't doing a good job. But one of the concerns is that you lose the institutional knowledge and that if you have a high frequency of turnover on judges. Um, but Judge Seeliger's retirement came about at a good time for me uh, when I could say this was the right time for me. So I, I announced in October of last year that I was running and I've been committed to it ever since. I, I have a three-year-old son and eight-year-old daughter. And, and in the past couple of years, you know, in the last cycle, four years ago or two years ago, it wasn't the personal time for me. But now it is. Let me ask you this, Aaron, um, if for, for Joe and Jane Doe, who don't know much about, you know, superior, you know, about the position, can you kind of articulate very simply what it means to them, why they should invest time, and then why, you know, to, to kind of do some research or, or figure out the candidates, and then why you may be, you know, a good person to consider? Certainly. So there, the, the Superior Court is the general trial court, the lowest court where you hear evidence and facts and people bring cases in Georgia. DeKalb County has two trial courts. One is the state court and one is the Superior Court. The state court can only hear civil cases and misdemeanors. That's it. Um, so either it's a misdemeanor or you're trying to sue to recover money. The Superior Court has three different areas that it handles. It can handle anything, but it's really divided up into 
civil, which is what I've done, and simply because of the equitable relief and the power for injunctions tends to be more complicated cases. Uh, for example, if you're a business owner and you have a business divorce and you want to dissolve that business, it has to go to a superior court because that's a monetary relief. It also handles criminal cases and it handles all felony cases. So anything from uh, a, you know, a felony theft to capital murder, it handles all of that. Um, and then the third is family law, divorce, uh, adoption, uh, things like that. And um, also involves, you know, again, the court's ability to divide assets on not necessarily grant compensation, but to do equitable. So a person who is sitting here listening to this podcast right now, hopefully is not a, someone with a, that will be put in a situation of a criminal uh, environment. It happens. And so it's very important to have a judge that understands that you are innocent until proven guilty and the system is not set up in a way that sets you up to fail. And so by that, I mean, some judges, and I'm, I'm speaking in a general sense, not necessarily anyone in DeKalb County, will require defendants, the uh, accused, to show up for every hearing, no matter how small. So if it's a scheduling hearing or anything like that, they're required to be there. Well, it, you may have to take time off of work to go there. And if you have an attorney, the question is, why do you need to go if I have an attorney? But you're still required to be there. If you don't show up, you can get what's called a, a failure to appear warrant. And you could be out driving. Yes, you, you may do a traffic violation, and all of a sudden you get arrested and put in jail because you didn't show up in court one day. Uh, if you want to plead not guilty, some judges require you to show up at the courthouse to do that. Well, that's time away from the job. And I think a lot of that uh, puts form over substance. And so I want, you know, if you don't need to be there and your attorney can be there, fine. Again, the idea is to be efficient and keep things moving as opposed to setting these little traps. Otherwise, you might be in a, a civil case. Many judges in DeKalb County and, and also all over the state don't have civil or business backgrounds. Uh, if you look at the judges in DeKalb County, many of them have come out of the prosecutor's office or other kind of criminal um, defense you know, firms. And you can go there and the, the, the judge will learn about it, but sitting there, they're not necessarily familiar with what it means to be a business owner, what there means to be, uh, to have these kind of civil disputes, because it's not something they dealt with or they're very comfortable with. So do, you, the, do you not need a law, a law degree? Like, can anyone be a judge? I believe anyone can. So if uh, I live in DeKalb County, yeah. if I live in DeKalb County, I can run uh, for a judge position. No, I, you, I believe you have to have at least five years of legal experience. But legal there are issues like in some of the rural counties where they're having a hard time. And so you may get magistrate. So you need to be a, a, a lawyer to be a judge in Superior Court. But for example, magistrate court, I think there's some places which are small claims. Like if I wanted to be um, a Chambly City Municipal Court and deal with I traffic, think that's I can be that. I think you still need to be a lawyer for that. Oh, really? Okay. I, 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 and I'm sorry, I can't give you, you know, the honest answer is I went to law school. I've been practicing for a while. It wasn't a criteria that I personally looked into because right. I, I did. So, and then the third I don't want to forget about is family law, which is the adoptions and things like that, um, and also divorces. Um, and I think that, again, with many judges – who don't necessarily have exposure to family law, they, they don't always want to deal with it because they, they view it as personal uh, conflict and cases drag along because they're, there's not, they're not being paid attention to or there's 
certain uh, spouses may have non-legal motivations. They, you know, they're angry or they have other things. And, and I think keeping a, a, a firm grip on that and forward is, is good. And the unfortunate thing is sometimes family law case, personal biases get involved when you're talking about adoption and things like that. And so I think that's something that people need to be aware of. Non-political positions, non-partisan. And we, my personal beliefs have nothing to do with the out of the case. You apply the law, you apply the facts, and it's something like a, it's what's best for the child. And as long as the child's going to a loving, uh, healthy environment, it matters. Well, we are up to our break. We need to take a short break to hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, we are going to play our Can You ASIC game. Uh, So we'll be back right after this. If you recently got divorced, you may be wondering how to pick up all of the financial pieces. Is it time to make a new budget, new goals, and get a new game plan with your investments? What about the best way to save money on your taxes? Take control of your money future. Go to oxygenfinancial.net to schedule a complimentary meeting today. Go to oxygenfinancial.net to get started right now. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, an affiliate of Kestra Investment Services. Oxygen is not affiliated with Kestra. Welcome back to Between Two Trains. You can hear us on the 1st and the 15th of every month on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Just look up Between Two Trains, and uh, you can also hear us on our website at betweentwotrains.com. So, Eric, are you ready to play Can You Ace It? I'm ready and waiting, chopping All right. at the bit. And so, Aaron? Aaron? I'm scared. I don't, All right. Is this about you know, uh, handiwork around the house is about general knowledge. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, Topics kind of hovered around, you know, law. Um, So it'll be multiple guests and I'll read the question and then read questions and see if you answer correctly. All right. So question one, what is the main reason that federal judges are appointed to their position for life rather than a specific term like most politicians? Either A, because most of them are old and will die soon anyways. B, so they will, so they will make decisions based on what they think is right rather, on what they, rather than on what they think will help them keep their job. Or C, because it takes a long time for them to learn all the rules. The answer is B. Ding, 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 ding. You are correct. And I will say this. One of the things, because, you know, I'm campaigning, one of the good things about the DeKalb Superior Court is it has produced some very good federal judges in the Northern District. Uh, Judge Eleanor Ross, J.P. Boulay. So uh, there's some some good judges in the current federal bench here in Atlanta are coming from the DeKalb community. Would you ever want to go to, like, the federal level or – DeKalb County is good enough for you. Uh, I mean, DeKalb County is good enough for me. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm I, being a federal judge. I think has a lot of uh, uh, appeal to it in terms of of just the idea to say that you have life appointment, you don't have to do campaigns. But uh, I like I like being with the people and, and the the personal stuff that you see in family in uh, Superior Court. All right, what's number question number two, Eric? Question number two, what two documents guarantee the right of a fair judicial process to every citizen of the United States? A, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. B, 
the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights, or C, Thomas Paine's Common Sense and the Writings of the Notorious B.I.G. Well, I, if RBG. I could quote, well, no, Notorious B.I.G. and R.B.G. I mean, I'll take either one, either one. Or, <laughs> either you know, one. I, oh, I to RB, see R.B.G., could... excuse me. <laughs> One, one, one's a judge, one's a rapper. <laughs> I, I'm sure Notorious uh, B.I.G. has some good thoughts on and, right. and commentary. Um, you know, uh, it is the first, the, the, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. Ding, ding, um, ding, ding, ding. You are correct. But are they, here's the thing, and this is just me being geeky. Are they two separate documents if the Bill of Rights is an amendment to the Constitution? Or are they? Hey, you're the lawyer. Oh, you tell hey. us. <laughs> I think I think we could spend a couple hours uh, debating this. All right, so we got two of three correct. Can he go for a full sweep? Two for two. All right. What happens if a person cannot afford a lawyer? Either A, they are automatically determined guilty. B, they are given a lawyer by the government. Or C, they are placed on an island with others in an escape from New York style contest. I want to go with C because I think I want to go C too. Yeah. Um, Where, where's you know, uh, Where's Kurt Russell? Right. Yeah. Or uh, you know, uh, I just first of all like the Escape from New York reference. You know, then you get to the Escape from L.A. and it's just not nearly as good for Snake for Snake Plissken. Um, the, the answer to that question is B. But that only ding, 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 ding. Only in criminal cases, not in civil. Ah, so what happens in a civil case? If you are an individual, you can proceed pro se and represent yourself. If you are a corporation, you cannot represent. And so, therefore, you run the risk of having your case dismissed or a default judgment entered against you. Interesting. Corpor corporate entities require a lawyer. So if there's a civil case and I can't afford a lawyer... My only option is to represent myself. Or you, yes, or you can find if it's a if you are if you are the plaintiff, you can find a, someone maybe be able to take it on a contingency basis. Gotcha. This is where we talk about you know the guys on the bus, who, you know who do things. Um, you know those people who are harmed, you know may not be able to find a lawyer, and that that's their means to get redress. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you had a clean sweep, so we want to thank you for playing Can You Ace It?, which is brought to us by the Shambly Ace Hardware. They have done such a great job over at Shambly Ace Hardware during this pandemic. They've stayed open, and they've followed all the rules, and they got little pieces of tape on their floor where you have to stay six feet away from everyone. So kudos to, to Brian and Stacy over at Shambly Ace, and uh, please go visit them. So we're towards the end of our podcast. Um, you know, give us, you know, sort of your elevator speech on you running for judge. If you were knocking on my door, what would you tell me on why I need to vote for you? There's really three, three reasons. First is I really want to increase the efficiency of the courts. One of the things we talked about earlier in the podcast was the idea to keep cases moving and progressing so that the backlog doesn't keep building up, people don't suffer uh, simply by the passage of time or not being able to move forward. Uh, and then two, I wanna increase transparency, which is just because you get a ruling from a judge or the outcome doesn't always mean you get an explanation for how and why that ruling is reached. It could be a motion is granted or a motion is denied. And I think that 
in a general sense, the, the clients of the court are the people of the county. And, and so you serve them by giving them explanations. So I, you know, I think that you should be able to give and explain to people how, what the law was, how the law was applied, and what particular facts were that helped lead to that decision so that everyone uh, understands the basis of the decision. And that both of those lead to, for me, the third part, which is treating everyone fairly with dignity and with respect. If the focus is not on the people, then sometimes the courts, I think, lose track. And so they need to make sure that they're kind of working to educate the population and the residents of DeKalb County to build confidence and faith in the legal system. If by the time something gets to a judge, it means that they were unable to reach a settlement or they were unable to reach a, a mutual resolution and a decision needs to be made. So the judge owes it to make that decision and not just delay. The judge also, when they, rate, when they make that decision, there will be an outcome that one side likes and one side doesn't. That's why they're there. And one would normally expect, and it's reasonable, that the person who, is, who loses is not going to be happy. But I want to make sure that they are unhappy only with the outcome and not with the process. And we can work on that process by making sure that everyone who's in court, whether they're represented by an attorney, whether the proceeding pro se is heard, but not just heard, that they're listened to. Because I think that's important. And we can, through all of that, we can build faith and, and you know, maybe cut back on some of the, the lawyer jokes I've been hearing for the past 20 years. Right. Um, well, if someone wants to learn more about you, where do you want to send them? Is there a website they should go to to learn more about your campaign? Yeah, we actually have a, a website at Aaron Chosmer for Judge. That's A-A-R-O-N-C-H-A-U-S-M as in Mary, E-R-F-O-R, judge.com or facebook.com slash Aaron Chosmer. We got pages on, on there too. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for being on. But before we close out this podcast, Eric, I've got a question for you. So um, we're recording this podcast two days before it's going to air. And um, right now, you at Chase Bank are dealing with uh, all this uh, stuff that's coming down from the government with uh, PPP programs and, and small business loans. Is there any insight you can give us on what the small business owners that are listening to this, what they should be doing right now? Um, well, it's, uh, I think most of the larger financial institutions have such a massive workload and queue of applications. Uh, we are no longer accepting applications. I know several other larger institutions, some of the smaller financial FinTech companies are still accepting uh, application. So if you are out there seeking assistance, uh, I would recommend finding those financial institutions that are still um, accepting. If you've already submitted an application, there is very little uh, information and the SBA um, has changed some things, uh, which is making it very difficult to speculate on how many customers we're going to be able to reach, which is tough because there's just very little information out there. And, but we're, we're working a lot to uh, try to, you know, get this thing moving, but it's. So they should really be reaching out to their personal bankers to, to figure out 
whether there's anything they can do or not. Yes. Yes. And I would be proactive um, because uh, a lot of these relief programs are very popular. Yeah. Well, hopefully, it, you know, they'll f- the government will figure out a way to get the money in the hands of the small mom and pops rather than the Ruth Crisp and the Shake Shacks of the world that really don't need it. So and the and the and the Lakers, yeah, and the way, mean, yeah, it, all those big corporations. In fact, it, I I don't think if you are a publicly traded company, you should be allowed to get any of that money. But that's just my personal view. Yeah, they they've got tools available to uh, to raise capital. Uh, you know, that, that privately held companies don't have, but, you know, the, um, you know, the, the biggest challenge and, and is that things happen so quick. It wasn't really, um, there wasn't a lot of thought that went into how do we make sure, how do we ensure that this gets to the people who actually need it, you know? And so, um, you know, we're still learning more information. They're still developing guidance on, on how for the people who have received the funds, how they should be using them. Right. And it's, um, I could just, I would, I would encourage everyone to be patient. The, the lenders, the, the banks genuinely want to help and, you know, provide, you know, this, this solution for people, but it's, it's just a very challenging time across the board. So, well, we'll have to do a podcast strictly on that. Maybe we'll do a special edition and we can, you know, we can talk about that more, but again, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Eric. Once again, thanks for being my co-host and we will see you in two weeks with another thank you. episode of between two trains. Thank you.